often vulgar, always explicit, and sometimes funny. Slap box. Slap box. Welcome to the Slapbox Podcast. This is episode 477. I'm your host, Josh Albrecht, sitting inside the penthouse, the Slapbox penthouse, that is, once again, and uh, not naked, just fun fact, sitting here uh, fully clothed, except for all I don't have any shoes or socks on. <laughs> I say that like I'm naked most of the time. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. It's hard to say. This is only audio. That is. So, that's up to your imagination. Uh, well, uh, last week, Shelly and I, we did go out last Sunday to the movie theater, the uh, Cinema One Plus over in Washington, Missouri. Uh, for the first time, I had been to a movie theater since October of, tw- or no, I'm sorry, uh, December of 2019. That was Star Wars Episode Nine. The last time I saw a fucking movie in the theater before last Sunday, and it was it was good. I mean, I, mean, I, I enjoy. I've always loved going into the movie theater. It was something I used to do almost on a weekly basis. Sometimes on a weekly basis, I would constantly go to the movie theater. Just always been a fan of movies in general, but then just seeing it in a theater with the loud speakers. And everything, you know, where you feel the movie. Feel it coming at ya. And of course, on a big screen, there's uh, my favorite way to watch a movie. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, but uh, it, it was a little weird. It was a little weird, you know, going out and seeing a movie. Uh, masking up to go see a movie. Although I took it off once we got in there. But, because uh, there was like... <laughs> Two other groups of people, I think, in the theater. Two or three other groups. People. It was very few people in the movie theater. It was not packed, to say the least. But it was. Uh, we saw, of course, uh, Many Saints of Newark, the Sopranos movie, which is a prequel to the Sopranos series from HBO, the home box office, as it were, uh, which, of course, came out in the uh, 90s. With the late great James Gandolfini with the lead in that uh, as Tony Soprano, and uh, it was uh, I enjoyed the movie. I've seen some not so positive reviews, uh, but I enjoyed the film. I thought it was, I thought it was good stuff. Shelley seemed to enjoy it. We got Christopher Maltesanti, uh, Michael Imperioni, uh, I believe is his real name. He uh, <laughs> narrated the film from the grave. Spoiler alert. I mean, it starts out as soon as it opens. It's it's Christopher <laughs> narrating it, which was nice. I was wondering if we would get any kind of cameos or anything from people in the original series because uh, I am a fan, and Shelley was, is also a fan of the uh, the Sopranos. But uh, we did get the Christopher Maltesani. It was funny hearing him talk about because he, he's speaking from the grave. And referring to the fact that his uncle Tony murdered him, which is a uh, spoiler alert if you've never seen The Sopranos from the nineties. Uh, <laughs> which, if you haven't, you like mob movies. What the fuck are you doing? Fucking watch that shit, you know. 
get HBO for like a month, binge watch it, and then cancel it or whatever, you know, or keep it and, you know, watch some of the other fantastic stuff that uh, HBO's got, except for maybe the last, you can watch Game of Thrones, just maybe don't really give a shit about the last season or two. You don't need to watch that so much when the show kind of went to shit. But definitely watch The Sopranos. That's good stuff. Good stuff. I've actually gone back to since watching uh, Many Saints of Newark. I wanted to go back and watch The Sopranos and like see if I you know see more connections because it had been a, quite some time since I watched The Sopranos before I went and saw Many Saints of Newark. And I had heard of a lot of these characters because most of the characters in the in the movie are not in the uh, HBO show. And but they they talk about them. The I guess you would consider it the protagonist, the main person, I guess, in the movie. I don't know if he, he's not really a hero per se, maybe an anti-hero. Uh, but uh, Dickie Molasante, he is uh, Christopher's father which you don't learn about a whole lot in The Sopranos. He's mentioned a lot because uh, it was Christopher's father. But he, uh, of course, died in the Many Saints of Newark movie, which takes place uh, quite a few years, I don't know, 20 years or so, before maybe, I guess it would be more than 20 years since like the opening of The Sopranos show. So, I mean, there's just... There's just really stories you hear of Dickie. So it's it's quite interesting to go back. See what kind of guy Dickie was. And then to see uh, characters like... Uh, you do get some characters at a younger age. A much younger age. Because Uncle June Jr. He, uh, <laughs> he's in there. And uh, there's a surprise twist at the end. Which I don't want to really want to ruin. Uh, there's, there's involving June. But uh, Uncle June... But the actor, they did a really good job of the actors that played these characters at a younger age to really uh, seem like the characters in the show. Like, I thought, <laughs> that I, I don't know the name, unfortunately, I don't know the name of the actors that uh, played um, some of these characters, but uh, I guess the younger ones. Uh, Michael Gandolfini played... Of course, Tony Soprano, that's actually James Gandolfini's son, but he's really not in it that much. Not really in it much. But uh, Uncle Junior, he's in, he's got a decent amount of time in it. And then uh, I love the Stephen Van Zandt's character, Silvio Dante. His younger self is pretty fantastic. Pretty, pretty fantastic. <laughs> he nails down the walk, like the whole nine. And uh, to see him with the toupee, well, clearly, with with a comb over early on in the movie, it's it's pretty fantastic, fantastic. And it was good seeing Ray Liotta in there. You know, it's surprising that he was not actually in the show. As a, from what I understand, David Chase tried to get him in the show, but it, it didn't it didn't take. He uh passed on it I guess I don't remember the story behind it I you know, recently in a, watched an interview with Ray Liotta about it but uh, I do not recall why he did not make it in 
the show. But it worked out because he uh, ends up playing twins in the uh, Sopranos movie. But uh, I don't know why I'm (laughs) having to pause a lot because I keep yawning. I was not tired at all. And then all of a sudden I get on here and uh, shit is uh, not working out for me so well. I I need to just do a, I don't know, some caffeine, I guess. Uh, But I was watching, I've also gotten into a little bit of uh, the podcast uh, Talking Sopranos. Which, uh, shit, playing an ad, fucking YouTube, trying to pull this story up. But, uh, it's, uh, Michael Imperioni, or however you say his name. I'm (laughs) blanking here. Uh, he, uh, who played Christopher, of course. And then, uh, I don't remember the actor's name, but he plays Bobby Bacala on, uh, Sopranos that took care of Junior. They do a podcast together, and they've uh, they go over like all the uh, Sopranos. I almost said South Park. Sopranos episodes. I don't know why they would be talking about South Park, but uh, <laughs> uh anyway, yeah. The, there's this great story I'll, I'll play a little bit of. Maybe uh, there's a uh, Michael's got a Prince story. But I guess this happened maybe sometime after the Sopranos. I'm not sure the timeline, but uh, this is off their podcast. You know, I have a beef against, you know, I still bear a grudge against Prince, although his music, you know, he was a genius music, but I, I, I have a, what I, did he uh, do? What did he, do? he was a dick to me at a party. What did he say? And I, I've never gotten over it. I'll be honest. And I, and I'm a huge Prince fan. Are, I you, love joking? His music. Are you joking? No, I did a movie and he did the score for the movie. So he knew who I was cause he scored the movie and I'm in the movie uh-huh. quite a bit. So we have the premiere party, right? And we go in the VIP section and there's Prince sitting with his girlfriend. Um, so I'm like, oh, this is great. And I'm looking at him and I'm about to walk over and his bodyguard steps in front of me and says, two bodyguards, a man and a woman. And one of them says, can you not look at him, please? <laughs> and as soon as I made eye contact with him, he went like this. Looks away. Like Rears. that. And then they stepped in and said that. I'm like, I was just like stunned, you know? I didn't even know what the fuck to say. I mean, it was just one of the weirdest, and not look at him, you mean the guy, the, you know, the four foot 11 guy dressed in a purple <laughs> jumpsuit with eyeliner and high heels. Don't look at him. Like, you know, he's in the freaking VIP section of the party. doesn't want people to look at him. Now, did you, say, did you say, I just want to say hello? I said, I, I'm in the mood, you know, like, you know, just, and they were really aggressive and nasty. Really? Yeah, and as soon as he made eye contact with me and saw me, he turned his head like this. Fucking Prince. Never forget it. Yeah. There you go. And so, so it's happened to you. What it's made happened. it worse is that I, you know, I love his music. You know what I mean? If I if I didn't like if I didn't wasn't a, a, an admirer, I wouldn't really care that much. You know, I saw him play once at Roseland at a at a party for a, a movie, not that movie, a, a different movie that I wasn't in. And I was like right next to the stage. It was just a little club. Rollerzam was a relatively small club in Manhattan. And it was just incredible. Um, seeing him live was a thing. But he was uh, not nice to me at a party. Well, you know, like they say, you don't want to meet your heroes. I've so, met some heroes. They were great with me. They were Prince. great. Sometimes they are. Sometimes, you know, most of my experiences have been fantastic. There's a handful that haven't, which I've talked about. I'm not shy to talk about it. And 
if someone dissed me, I'll come back and tell you. What the fuck? Don't put them on a pedestal, you know? That's it. I'm well, sorry to Prince, hear about Prince. Prince needed to be on a pedestal, otherwise you couldn't see him. <laughs> You're going to give the fucking guy short jokes. <laughs> Listen, yeah, but I mean, one of the all-time great Absolutely. You know, songwriters and, you know, a, a, a kick-ass guitar player. Um, that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, when he's playing... Uh, he joins a bunch of people playing uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, a tribute to Harrison, and Prince rips out this lead that's... Anybody who hasn't seen it, go Google this or YouTube it or something and watch it because it's just brilliant. Is uh, him... Is, I, you know, I have no... I'm, I'm kidding. I don't hold a grudge against him. No, it's a funny story. I have no hard feelings. And I, him, wherever if, he is, I wish you well, my, you know, if, uh, is my there, friend. Uh, to me, you're my friend. Listen, uh, on YouTube, is there a, a video of him dissing you? There's a, <laughs> and it's, I'd and like it's to me. See that. It's me in slow motion going from being really excited to. <laughs> it's slow see, motion. You see I my. I want to see the girl and the guy bodyguard telling you to take a. And they're and they're dressed up like in some kind of weird bodyguard <laughs> co prince style costume. You know, they're they're long coats like the matrix like they're part of the act you know it's very yeah. and he was with one of the i think it was i uh, mate garcia the one who was in the uh -huh. band one of the bands with the new power generation may i'm not i might not be right you know who looked you know beautiful she's right next to him it was very it almost like staged you know well, but you, know, uh, you can't Murphy. look at him though have you ever seen any of the charlie Murphy? oh yeah when they played basketball well prince was a great was in a star of his high school team yeah, very funny and then yeah. he made him pancakes it's very funny i think he could dunk really i think so yeah wow i i would really pay to see some footage of prince dunking i, I find that hard to believe <laughs> dude was super short but you know Muggsy Bogues, Muggsy Bogues was able to do that. Oh, I'm not a big Prince fan, but that while my guitar gently weeps, guitarless solo that he did at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that is some good stuff. That is some good stuff. He's really shredding on there. Hats off to that performance, to the little man with the guitar. <laughs> uh, there was also a story they did. They got a. Uh, most of their podcasts are like two to three hours long. They get pretty in depth there, uh, but they do have some clips that are on their uh, Talking Sopranos podcast that are shorter. Where there's one where they're talking about uh, Milton Berle's large dick. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with Milton Berle, he was an actor back in the way back in the day, and uh, he was renowned for having an obscenely large cock. Uh, and I guess uh, Bobby Bacala ran into him at a wedding, and he had no idea. Some some woman there had uh, mentioned, or someone had mentioned to him there, is like, you know, he's got a massive cock, right? <laughs> apparently, Milton Berle used to just whip that shit out, although he did not do it at that wedding. But apparently, I don't know if he would just do it on like if somebody asked, like, I hear you got a big cock, then bam, throw it on the on the table. Uh, I'm not I'm not real sure about. <laughs> But from what I understand, he was he was very fine with just uh, throwing out throwing out the old uh, the old cock. Let's see. I I'm Google searching Milton Berle cock. Let's let's see if I uh. <laughs> uh 
Uh, yeah, the, here, here's a story right here. Mil- when Milton Berle showed Alan Zweibel his big dick. Uh oh here he yeah here he is it's the oh there's I'm trying to see if I can see a picture of it like the there's a classic John Lennon pic where they I think they're on top of holy shit yeah wow I'm seeing a picture of him in like <laughs> dear lord he's just bulging out of these pants there's a. <laughs> Uh, this is a <laughs> on a private blog. Celebrity monster cock guide. Uh, Troy Aikman, really? I didn't know. I didn't know. Uh, oh, that's no, that doesn't sound like six or seven inches. That's cons- that's not considered monster cock. Where's Milton Berle here? I just wanted to see this picture. God damn it! I didn't want all of this. This is a. Uh, Bunch of people I didn't really want to see their cocks. Um, for some reason, I chose. <laughs> uh, that thing is a mon. There's this one shot where I mean, it does look like a fucking monster. There's a. Oh, I don't know that that's Milton Berle. That doesn't really look like Mister Milton Berle. But uh, there's not a whole lot of good shots where you can see the the Johnson, as it were. There's a. Uh, I'm just looking all goofy. But uh, hold on, I gotta um, check back with that story about when he showed uh, Alan Zweibel his uh, his uh, penis, his big dick, his Johnson. Um, <laughs> some FlagerLive.com sounds reputable. I have no fucking clue what Flager Live is. I'm sure it's it's a reputable source though. Milton Berle's Anaconda is the name of this fucking article. Uh, <laughs> Okay, there's a picture of Alan Zweibel here. Uh, Alan Zweibel is a writer and producer who was among the original writers on SNL back when Gerald Ford was still president. Here's his his story of coming face-to-face with Milton Berle's legendary penis. Milton Berle took a liking to me and gravitated to me, I think because in the early 70s I had written all these jokes for Catskill Comics, and I wrote jokes for a lot of the Friars Club roasts where... Uncle Milty was usually the roast, roast master. You played to people's stereotypes with those jokes. Jack Benny was the cheap one, and so on. And with Burl, all, all I had known was he wore a dress on TV and supposedly stole everybody's jokes. And also I learned early on that he was the guy with the big dick. One of the biggest in show business, so I started writing big dick jokes about him for these Friars Roasts. Now, fast forward. I want to hear these jokes. Uh, Now, fast forward a few years, and I'm in uh, Milton Berle's dressing room at Saturday Night Live. He's sitting on a couch behind a coffee table, and he's wearing a very short kind of bathrobe, the kind that comes down to about mid-thigh. And somehow I just say to him, you know, it's so weird that I'm here talking to you because for years I was writing jokes about your dick. I said, I wrote all these jokes about your cock, and now I'm talking to you. I feel like there's some violation or something here. Uh, he says to me, you you mean you never saw it? I said, uh, uh, no, I don't believe I did. Then he said, well, would you like to? And before I had any chance to say not really or can I think about it <laughs> or whatever, he parts his bathrobe and he just takes out this 
this anaconda. He lays it on the table, and I'm looking into this thing, right? I'm looking into the head of Milton Berle's dick. <laughs> it was enormous. It was like a pepperoni. And he goes, what do you think of, of, of the boy? And I'm looking right at it, and I go, oh, it's it's really, really nice. <laughs> at which point, Gilda Radner <laughs> opens the door to the dressing room it's like an I Love Lucy sketch, but this honestly happened. She opens the door to his dressing room just in time to see me looking into his dick saying, yeah, it's really, really nice. <laughs> I tell Milton, I'll talk to you later. Close the door and left. <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. Gilder Adder just fucking walking in, just checking out Milton Burl's cock. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I see another article for history's most notorious penises. Milton Berle is on that list. Um, I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to bet that. Uh, I want to say if I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I was I was going to say Rasputin would be on that list because he's known to have a historically abnormally large hog. Uh, and damn it, I don't. Just fucking display the page. This is a medium deck. Just fucking get out. No, fuck off. I don't want to sign in. I don't. <laughs> don't lock up my computer. Okay, this is again. Medium.com. History's most notorious penises. Cocks. Schlongs. Investigation of the rumors, legends, and tales of the world's most storied dicks. Let's see here, uh. Written by Brian Van Hooker. <laughs> Another sounds very reputable source. Anybody named Van Hooker. I mean, that's that's Walter Cronkite kind of name. That has some power to it. Um, <laughs> from the tiny to the eye-wateringly massive, history is just stuffed with legendary penises. But how many of these tales are really true? We consulted historians, a comedy writer, and even a Pulitzer Prize winner in our attempt to discover the truth behind these stories of the oversized, the severed, the diseased, and the deformed. Strap yourself in for some quality journalism. Almost sounds like a Sergio Leone film. Where's Clint Eastwood in this one? Uh, start out here. Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, French dictator and conqueror. Uh, the penis. <laughs> I'm going to start saying, I'm not going to go with penis. I'm going to say the cock. Since his death in 1821, Napoleon's cock has been the subject of urban legend that claims that during his autopsy on St. Helena, it was somehow accidentally removed and has traveled the globes, or globe, <laughs> not globes, uh, it's only been on this world that I'm aware of. <laughs> Travel the globe in the hands of collectors ever since. The story. Napoleon's cock is presently in Inglewood, New Jersey. Maybe. A 2015 article in the Washington Post cataloged the path of Bonaparte's cock from Napoleon himself to an Italian priest to a London bookseller to a book dealer in Philadelphia to a French museum in New York City from there, after being displayed for decades, it was bought in an auction in Paris in 1977 by an American urologist whose descendants currently live in New Jersey. The cock myth 
accuracy. While it's been confirmed that this mummified item is an actual dick, whether or not it's Napoleon's is sadly impossible to verify. Which I've heard, I'm sure they're going to get to it. They showed a picture of Rasputin, so I imagine they're going to cover that. But there's supposedly a museum in St. Petersburg that has Rasputin's dick. Uh, Milton Berle, comedian and icon of TV and radio. Which, sadly, they didn't say whether or not Napoleon's dick was huge or not. Small. I mean, he was a small guy. Was his cock small, though? Anyway, Burl's penis. The size is cock. The size of Uncle Milty's enormous schlong is probably a bigger part of showbiz legend than its owner. The story of Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, Gottfried and his co-host, comedy writer Frank Santopadre, primarily interview guests from the golden age of Hollywood, many of whom actually worked with Milton Berle. Whenever we have a guest on that worked with Uncle Milty, says Santo, Santo Padre, Gilbert will inevitably ask them if they saw his cock. Most said they hadn't, but Jeff Ross and Alan Zweibel both said they saw it, and they confirmed its legendary size. So I'm going to have to check that Alan Zweibel one out, because I enjoyed that story. Well, I pretty much understood it from reading and writing, but uh, it's probably funnier to hear it from the man himself. Uh Penis myth accuracy. This story is so pervasive and has enough eyewitnesses. Burl, it said, liked to hang out in his dressing room with his robe unfurled. That it seems it must be true. LBJ, the 36th president of the United States, is cock. Uh, numerous writers have claimed LBJ took inordinate pride in the size of his member. and refer to it as Jumbo, says author Robert Schenken, a Pulitzer Prize Antonio Award winner and author of All the Way, a biographical, pl- biographical, <laughs> biographical, can't speak, play about Johnson starring Brian Cranston. Oh, fuck yes. Walter White. Uh, the story here. In addition to Schenken, we reached out to Johnson biographer Bruce Shulman, author of Lyndon B. Johnson and American Liberalism, who told us that though stories abound, I've never seen a verifiable account of Jumbo. LBJ did refer often to other people's peckers, though, cutting them off, throwing them in drawers, etc., as well as this apparent fixation with penises. There's also a well-known audio recording of LBJ ordering pants in which he instructs the tailor to leave plenty of room in the crotch. So, schlonging it up with LBJ. Um, The myth accuracy... Though Shulman and Schenken didn't have direct evidence, they had both heard the stories which have been recounted in several LBJ biographies. Still, while the audio recording is interesting, LBJ does say he wants room for his bunghole in the recording, not Jumbo. Huh. (laughs) He needs room for his asshole? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so while this legend has a good chance of being true, it could just be one of many examples of Johnson's dirty sense of humor for which he was famous. And here we get to finally Rasputin. This is this is the most legendary I think I've ever heard, is the Rasputin. And uh, let's see here. Rasputin, Russian holy man and mystic, and an influential figure in pre-revolutionary Russia. Uh, the penis, the cock. Here, uh, Rasputin was assassinated in 1916. I've been to the spot where he was assassinated. Nothing much fit, uh, special about it other than, you know, 
compared to all the buildings around it, but it was pretty awesome knowing that, holy shit, he was killed right here. Anywho, he was assassinated in 1916, and much like Napoleon, his penis went on its own separate odyssey after his post-mortem. Unlike Napoleon's, Rasputin's penis was rumored to be huge and supposedly magical. (laughs) The story, after Rasputin was killed by angry nobles, his penis was allegedly discovered sans by a body by a maid who preserved the 13-inch monster for posterity. From there, it was obtained by a group of Russian women living in Paris who, due to Rasputin's reputation as a mystic and revered lover, treated it as sacred. Reportedly, it was kept in a wooden casket and bits were broken off for disciples. This apparently continued until Rasputin's real-life daughter demanded they turn over her daddy's dick. <laughs> I want my daddy's dick back. That just... <laughs> oh, shit. After her death in 1977, the penis eventually turned up again in 1994, at which point it was discovered to actually be a sea cucumber. Well, that's a, that's a bit of a letdown. Uh, in 2004, another item also claimed to be Rasputin's oversized dong. Suspended in formaldehyde, no less, was purchased from a French antiquarian by the curator of the Russian Museum of Erotica for eight grand. Museum curator says the the mere sight of it can cure impotence. Oh, well, I guess if I start really having problems with that, I'll just go back to St. Petersburg because that was the museum that was near my first hotel there, uh, the Dimitri Art Hotel. It was like really close to there. Um, and the myth accuracy, well, we can assume the impotency thing is bullshit. Um, uh, well, shit, I guess maybe I don't need to go back for that reason. Uh, but what about the rest of it? Since the original penis was discovered, uh, to be a shriveled sea cucumber and the new one has decidedly vague origins, the whole thing is probably bogus. Probably. Maybe. There's a chance. There's a chance. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, I'm gonna skip a few here. Let's see. And uh, I don't know who this one fella is. Uh, you know, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. I'm not too worried about that. It was uh, let's see, Adolf Hitler, German dictator, genocidal maniac, and bad person. I figure you probably heard about him, but you know, just <laughs> he was the ruler of Germany during World War II. Um, the cock. According to various rumors, Hitler had a micropenis, a missing testicle, an undescended testicle, and or hypospadias, a condition where the pee hole is situated further down the shaft. That sounds crazy. All right, uh, the story. Last year, Time did a rundown of all the Hitler genital rumors which date back all the way to World War II, when British troops were found of singing Hitler has only got one ball to the tune of Colonel Bogey. <laughs> uh, you know, it's probably propaganda, but maybe he had a small dig. I don't know. Um, the list includes a 2008 story in British tabloid The Sun claiming that he lost a testicle in World War I and a 2015 book entitled Hitler's Last Day Minute by Minute which claimed he may have had both an undescended testicle and hypospadias? 
Dias? Yeah, anyway. Accounts vary, though. A battlefield medic was responsible for saying that Hitler lost a ball. His childhood doctor said he was totally normal. A prison doctor stated he had an undescended testicle, and a supposed Russian autopsy said a ball was missing. Every one of these claims has been questioned by historians. Uh... (laughs) In the uh, myth accuracy here, it says, It's tough to say if Hitler actually had some kind of genital abnormality or if we all just want him to have had some kind of genital abnormality. But since this is Hitler we're talking about, whether or not he may have had a malformed penis is really the least of the questions we should be asking. I don't know, because I kind of feel like that's all they really got to say about that. Um I feel like it's it's good to know if he had a uh, deformed penis and perhaps this led to the genocide. This led to 6 million dead Jews. We can see a correlation there as growing up he would always have that in the back of his head. He'd probably, you know, be turned down by many, many women. Maybe they laughed at him. They did, like, horrible things. And uh, th- there could to prevent more genocide in the future. Maybe we should seek out to cure the problem of having these small micro dicks where the pee hole is strangely down further on the shaft and they're missing a, a testicle. You know, we could, we could do things to help them and the, to prevent them from uh, gassing 6 million people, you know, or, or something of that nature. <laughs> or so I can, you know, talk about it on a, on a podcast and it might be somewhat humorous. There's plenty of reasons to find out about Hitler's small dick. Um, Just a plethora, right? (laughs) That was a little bit of a digression there uh, from my (laughs) point of uh, talking about the many saints of Newark, what I was going to get to with with that topic, not the cock topic. Um, I don't think there's much talk about dicks in that. Um, But uh, I was going to say... It does seem that The Sopranos' Many Saints of Newark has tanked at the box office. Last I saw one, it made like $5 million. But, I mean, every movie since the pandemic started that has been released in the theaters has suffered for the most part. I mean, there's there's been a few that have made some money. But for the most part, I mean, it's it's been pretty pretty shitty. But this one was, of course, released in the theater. Theater? Theater and HBO simultaneously. And from what I'm reading here at movieweb.com, uh, the uh, Many Saints of Newark has done really well on uh, HBO Max. And they've actually seen a 65% increase in viewers of The Sopranos show. That's leading to the series bringing in the highest daily viewership of any single program in HBO Max's history and breaking the record for the weekly number of viewers to watch a TV series in the process. So that's even like current shows. I mean, that is any show. That is just fucking killing it. That is their biggest thing, which I guess The Sopranos, I would imagine even before this, was the number one show for HBO. I mean, that... Fucking, they knocked it out of the fucking park with that show as far as people being interested in it and, like, going all in on The Sopranos. Uh, 
There's, I mean, they've had other good shows, but I mean, that shows. It's just, uh, it's over 20 years old now. Um, but, and I believe this is the article I read before too, but there's, I'm not going to bother reading this whole article here right now, but, uh, David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, has just signed a deal with HBO for a, some kind of creative deal. It, it's from what I've read, there's not a, I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, information or description of what that deal consists of, but it's something of to do with basically giving him creative freedom to do something that he wants to do. That they're like, whatever you want to do, man, let's do it. Let's fucking do it. Uh, but now I've read interviews with David Chase where he like uh he has stated that uh because this this movie takes place, you know, over 20 years before the start of the Sopranos show that there is still a big gap of time between The Many Saints of Newark and The Sopranos that there's plenty of other avenues to go down in that same universe to uh, discover, you know, more stories to find out more about certain characters that we either just heard about or characters that we've already somewhat familiar with from the show. And that, uh, I mean, it could be another movie. They could do another small series, but David Chase has said like, he's interested in it. Apparently he just inked a deal with HBO. Now that this is, been such a home run on the HBO Max side of things. It obviously didn't do a whole lot in the theaters. Um, I think even if the pandemic hadn't hit, it probably still wouldn't have done a whole lot in the theater. Um, you know, no way to know that. But but for the streaming home audience, like, holy shit, it is, it is on par with... <laughs> I mean, they don't give actual numbers on that, but I would guess... Uh, it's getting close. It's probably HBO's version of Tiger King at this point. Um, there is no meth taking. It's a little predated, I guess, before meth, or I guess we're right when meth starts kind of popping up. It doesn't hit the '80s yet, so meth's not like so, so big. So you don't have like a uh <laughs> a, a very flamboyant zookeeper that wants to kill uh, another zoo zookeeper there's there it lacks that but it's it's entertaining you know it's uh <laughs> it brings it in it's got Ray Liotta in it you know Ray Liotta there's also I did watch a uh earlier when I was uh, eating dinner I saw a 20th anniversary uh reunion with a cast of the Sopranos and uh I mean, it sucked because James Canolfini's like passed away now, and you know that was the uh, you could tell that they're like just them being together really brought it brought it home to them that that he was passed away. But it was it was kind of cool watching that. It was like I don't know, it was um, uh, if you just look at like Sopranos twenty year reunion, you'd find it. I want to say it was like the morning show or something. I don't recall what, who did it, but it's like a 46 minute uh, little bit. And you get to see, uh, uncle June, Dominic, Dominic, uh, 
yeah, can't. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. I'm going to totally fuck it up. Uh, but you get, I mean, you get Christopher fucking uh, Carmella, you know, played by uh, Edie Falco. That's an easy name to pronounce. And uh, Lorraine Bracco, Bracco. See, I can't even pronounce her name. I'm just fucking tongue-tied tonight. Uh, Lorraine Bracco. Um, she plays Dr. Melfi, the psych- psychiatrist. And uh, there's qu- there's quite a few in there. Uh, Steve Van Zandt is there. Uh, Silvio Dante, he played Silvio Dante. Um, uh, Polly Walnuts, played by Tony Syracuse. Shit, I can't remember his last name very well. And then, uh, but there's definitely uh, (laughs) some good uh, stories in there. They they all talk about James Gandolfini uh, in it. And uh, you get an idea of how they got kind of involved with it, like, or how they felt it was going to be when they, they started. Um, the actor that played, uh, Tony Jr. I can't, I, I don't remember his name, but Tony's son in the show. He's, it was like, of course he was super young when the Sopranos started out. He talks about, uh, the guy that played Paulie Walnuts, like came out to him. He's like, uh, yeah. Cause apparently like his family just assumed he was going to be on the show he was going to immediately be just huge and famous. Like, everyone was going to know who he was. Like, he gets on set, and Paulie Walnuts goes like, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, this this shit happens all the time. Like, this is going to be like a one-and-done thing. We're going to do a pilot. Nobody's going to see this fucking thing. And uh, it's, it's nice knowing you, kid, <laughs> basically. That's basically, you know, it's definitely not verbatim of what he apparently told them, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, Paulie was a uh, a bit off on that. Is it, a, a lot of these actors, I mean, that's you do these pilots, and nothing nothing happens, nothing happens, and uh, shit goes sideways. But uh, this uh, the, it it did not happen with The Sopranos. It became rather popular, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would like to see the the blah, blah, I don't know the title, but the the Bond movie that just came out this weekend. I thought about maybe going to see it tomorrow, but I mean I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I need to save some money. The penthouse is expensive. I got to keep up with the bills on it. Uh, but uh, I would kind of like to go back to the theater and see. Uh, no time to die. Maybe is the name of it. Uh, and uh, it's Daniel Craig's. I'm pretty sure his last Bond movie. And I gotta say that first one he did. And I used to really love uh, growing up uh, Sean Connery as Bond. Before I, you know, realized that he used to beat women and shit. Uh, <laughs> I was a kid. I didn't know any better. But uh, he did some. He was a great actor. Great actor. Maybe as a as a person. Maybe he was a bit. Uh, you know, had some issues. But uh, there was. Uh, Definitely when I saw Daniel Craig, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, that was 2006 when uh, Casino Royale came to theaters. And I think that is like the, the best Bond movie. I'm not crazy about every Daniel Craig Bond movie, and I feel like it's just more of the same with a lot of them. Casino Royale, it took like a darker tone than like most of the other Bond movies. Like it was, it was dark and gritty. And you see him 
have to kill people for the first time and everything. And you, I feel like in that one, part of the reason I like that one so much is you, every other Bond movie, like there's not, James Bond never changes. He's always James Bond. And at the beginning, you know, you, you can see the, <laughs> the change in him, I guess, which is most movies do have a character arc where there has to be change. I don't think that's necessarily true with every movie. I don't want to see Jason Voorhees change. Change. I don't. I don't. I don't need that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. There, I don't think know that that's necessarily what I liked about it. Which it, it did seem rather dark. That one, and uh, there was also the fact that when uh, I saw Daniel Craig shirtless in Casino Royale, I mean he uh, he must have done the superhero diet and workout. He must have been working out with. Huge Jackman. I mean, Hugh Jackman. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they were both huge at the time, if you, if you feel me. They're like Rasputin, kind of huge. Um, but when I saw him shirtless, I remember thinking, that I was in my one and only serious relationship at the time, too, and uh, enjoying, you know, the, the uh, pleasures of uh, occasionally getting uh, to stick my schlong inside a, a warm vagina at times um but uh <laughs> anyway when i saw him shirtless i was like "Ooh, damn damn i'm not usually one to admire guys physique i am more now that like since i've gotten into like trying to uh, work out as far as i mean i don't work out per se but i run a lot you know and uh really trying to like stay in shape and stuff like i can definitely admire more now but at that time, I didn't do shit <laughs> as far as, like, running, anything of that nature. Um, but I saw that, and I was like, ooh, damn, damn. I'm like, I then I was like, I got to fucking start working out. I didn't. But I had that thought as looking at his physique. And I was like, whew, ooh, man. And and then they then proceeded to uh, get hit in the balls <laughs> with that fucking rope. Uh, that was one of the that's I guess part of the darkness and stuff that I enjoyed though of that movie was that like there's especially the early Bond movies uh, you would get you would see they would put James Bond in some situation where the shark with a laser they're gonna leave him in a room and these sharks with lasers attached to their head they're gonna eventually kill him somehow <laughs> with this trap and of course he, he gets away Whereas that one, they fucking, uh, Mads, uh, Mickelson, who plays the chief, uh, he, he's the, uh, he's the baddie in that one, which I, I do enjoy me some Mads Mickelson, but, uh, side note, one of his early films, I forgot what country he's initially from. But uh, it's not in American. They used to have it on Netflix. I don't think it's on there anymore. But it was La Flamen and Citronen. Uh, they oh, is it? I think it's a Dutch movie. Don't quote me on that. Um, but holy shit, that's a good movie. It's a World War Two movie, and I think they're part of. Uh, I mean, they're taking on the Nazis. That's all. That's all you really need to know about that one. But it was a good movie. I know that it. Uh, <laughs> Damn it, I'm trying to look at his filmography. Anyway, but there's that scene <laughs> with 
again, uh, Daniel Craig, just in his underwear. He's just hanging out in his underwear, all jacked, chiseled, and everything. And he's sitting there, and they he puts him in a, I guess it's like a, a wicker chair or something. They they ripped the bottom of this chair out right where, right where the bait and tackle of Mr. Daniel Craig is. And uh, I don't remember the size of his schlong, but uh, imagine it was a pretty decent one. Um, <laughs> uh, I I picture Daniel Craig having a, uh, you know, decent. If it was massive, I think I probably would have remembered. Uh, but he's got the balls hanging out of this chair and then, uh, proceeds to just fucking keep nailing him in the nuts with this fucking rope with this massive knot on the end of the rope. And it is just fucking brutal, man. Brutal. It's, it's pretty good though. Pretty fucking good. And it's such a departure from, especially like the earlier Bond films. Right, just fucking. Oh, that was at, oh man, Flame and Citron was actually after Casino Royale. It came out in two thousand eight. I thought it was a year earlier than that, but it's a good film. It's a uh, World War Two resistance fighters is a uh, like him and this this other fella in it, and. uh I am trying to find Yeah, it's it's a good uh it's a good uh film. Um or Flamen and Citronen. But I guess in English it's uh converted to Flame and Citron. But uh Yeah, it's got almost kinda like a if I remember correctly, like a feel of like them in the uh Almost gangster days. I feel like there's a Thompson involved somewhere in there. Uh, but they are a part of the uh, resistance against the Nazis. And uh, that uh, <clears throat> I just can't get it out of my head. I'm beating the shit out of Daniel Craig with that rope right into his fucking nuts. Uh, it'd almost be better if it is smaller, I think. You know? Like, I if he's got a massive schlong, or, or at least his balls are huge. Oh, those are tiny balls. Maybe if he only had one ball, if he had a Hitler situation where it was like one single small ball and he got hit by that rope, it, I feel like that wouldn't be quite as excruciatingly painful as it would be to have this fucking elephantitis of the dick where it's just this massive schlong and, you know, like... uh there's that episode of South Park where uh, Father uh, Stan's father Randy microwaves his nutsack, and he uh, then can proceed to uh, use it as like a bouncy ball and just uh, jump around on his dick. If that <laughs> if that happens with uh, if that ball sack bouncy ball sack gets hit by that rope, I mean it's gonna hurt like hell. There's a lot of sense of area to to cover, but if you got that small Hitler ball, you know, again it is theoretical that Hitler had the small ball. We don't we don't know for sure, but I'm gonna say he probably did. He probably had a very small ball, one small ball, and a micro penis, uh, and <laughs> that's. Had that not happened, we wouldn't have the Holocaust. Just saying. Probably wouldn't have happened. 
he would have uh, not been so angry at life. And I don't know how that would be the Jew's fault that he had a, had a very much almost no dick. Um, but maybe there was a Jewish woman involved that maybe the first girl he had a crush on and she saw the size of his dick and laughed at him. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This is all speculation. This is all speculation. Uh, it, it could be possible, though. It could be possible. Prove me it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I don't know how to segue out of Hitler's small ball rant. Um, uh, other than that, you know, going to see the movies, um, which, I, man, there is also Halloween Kills, I think is what it's called. Um, is also coming out next week, I want to say. That would be a good one to see, as well as Dune. I mean, there are some good movies coming out. Uh, but anyhow, uh, other than that, I've been uh, still uh, working on learning some tool songs on guitar because uh, i got to get ready for if and when this guitar ever gets released, this second Adam Jones Gibson deal as the I will never be able to afford most likely the Adam Jones Gibson custom shop model uh Les Paul as on the cheaper side it's like maybe 10 grand on reverb uh but uh you know I'm uh, you know I, I I could put on my credit card maybe $3000 for the uh, Gibson Les Paul standard that's plausible. I could pay that off in my lifetime. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, or I could, you know, just put it on the credit card and just burn the credit card. Get rid of it. Never fucking use the thing again. That's uh, That seems to be like the what's probably going to happen with that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to screw myself if there's an emergency situation. But I suppose I could always open another credit card. Uh <laughs> Should probably not do that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I've been learning uh, more Tool songs and preparation of if this guitar ever gets released. Then uh, I could also get the Epiphone model, which is probably going to be $800 to $1,000. Uh, anyway, I've been working on uh, the song Enema, and uh, I'm not getting bad at it. not getting bad at it. I mean, I'm not going to play it on here. But uh, uh, learning, learning some shit. Jones has got a very interesting techniques, or uh, I guess he's got several techniques that uh, are very Jonesian. Um, he's uh got a very percussive way of playing where uh, there's a lot of times he doesn't pick the notes with his right hand with a pick hand, whereas he's uh fretting and also picking the notes with just his his fret hand his left hand there like uh the opening the anima uh he's actually uh only the higher strings he's actually hitting with the pick the lower strings he's hitting with his fret hand and like hammering them on and just making all all the uh, sound via that and uh it takes a while to kind of master that a little bit to get it to set. I, I found like just to get it loud enough, like I got to really grind my fingers out and do it on a consistent basis before I can do it to where it's audible enough 
to where compared to my picking it with my uh, pick hand. And another good example of that is actually the song Jambi, which I can do like I guess the opening part to Jambi, which I found out a couple of years ago how to do. He actually uh, takes it on his fret hand like his index finger. Uh, well, I guess he it varies on which notes he's playing to which finger he's doing it with, but he'll start on the low E string, which is he tunes down to D on everything uh, except for uh, I guess prison sex that's tuned down even lower to what B I guess but he drags it through the low D string through to the uh, fifth and fourth string and like a, a, a triplet I guess and like dragon and it's I don't know it's hard to explain without like having a guitar in my hand and then actually like sounding it you know making the sound but it's an interesting little technique he uses there where again he's uh he does I think he does pick to start that out, but then he drags his fingers after he hits the first note, drags his fingers through the top uh three strings, the lower end strings. The D A and uh D. Low D, A and high D, I guess. Just dragging it through. Dragging it through. It's a, it's kind of cool. Once you get it down, it's like, ooh, this is cool. <laughs> I don't even need to pick half the time. Well, apparently, I guess there's a lot, a, quite a few songs where he does that, and he's just like pulling the strings instead of like picking them. It's a, it's an approach that I'm just not really familiar with, like a lot of other guitarists doing. I don't, I am sure there's probably other ones that do. I'm just not aware, not aware of them. And, uh, yeah. Um, what if finally, uh, wrapped up and, uh, I think I had mentioned it before on the podcast, but I didn't realize, I mean, it was, it's really cool to see Chitala, uh, Chitala, I guess, uh, Chadwick Boseman's, uh, Black Panther basically on, uh, what if I didn't, I guess, fully realize that that's actually Chadwick Boseman speaking for the character on the show until this last one and I looked it up. I did see his name in the credits and uh sure enough I guess that's one of the last things he did was like he recorded the voiceovers for what if. So I mean that was that was pretty cool. I did like the ending to uh to what if. I thought it was a good series and uh being animated like that it was <laughs> It was a lot easier, I would imagine, to do the things they wanted to do in it than to say, you know, we're going to start a series. I can't imagine what the kind of budget, for one thing, you would have to have to pull off the What If series. I mean, there was some pretty crazy shit in it. It would be a fucking massive budget. Uh, cart- uh, animated, rather. Uh, I'm sure it made it a lot easier. But is it, it, it was good stuff. Good, good stuff. You see a T'Challa there at the end, which I think I, earlier I said Chitala. T'Challa. <laughs> T'Challa. <laughs> Leaves the character. Anyway. And uh, I have th- <sighs> I wish we would have gotten a little bit more Howard Duck at the end. We did get a little bit of him in the Thor episode of What If? But I'm wondering if they are going to have like an animated Howard the Duck stuff. I realize 
the Howard the Duck <laughs> movie in the 80s did not do very well. It, I believe it was a bit of a cult classic, but I loved it, mainly, I guess, because I was a kid when it came out. But it's just so cheesy 80s to me. There's so many like cheesy 80 movies that I just have this nostalgic love for, and that is fucking one of them. There is... <laughs> I mean... Uh, it it may not be the best made movie, but man, I I I have just this uh absolute love for uh, Howard the Duck, and uh, I never read the comic, um, so I don't know how different he is from the '80s movie. But I feel like even if they made a if they made a live action Howard the Duck movie, it would just not. I don't think anybody in their right mind, knowing how badly that one flopped in the '80s, that. Uh, <laughs> I can't see anybody wanting to make another live action Howard the Duck. Um, but I, I would find it hard to enjoy a new one. Like if they tried to make that better is that that one in the eighties is so good. We wouldn't have that if it wasn't for George Lucas too. He was one of the people behind at least producing that one. And it's like, yes, thank you, George Lucas, Star Wars and Howard the Duck. I owe you a lot, sir. I owe you a lot, good sir. And you he was involved in Indiana Jones. I mean, these are things that uh if I were to ever meet George Lucas, there would be like uh I don't know. I don't know if I'd have anything to say to him. I might just be like uh, just frozen. I'm gonna be Han Solo and Carbonite. I I wouldn't be I would be so frozen too. I don't know that I'd remember to look to see how big of his dick dick he is. I feel <laughs> I feel like George Lucas. I don't know if he's got a big one, but I feel like it's probably hairy, and that's probably where he came up with the idea for Chewbacca. I'm just saying. He probably has a Wookiee penis, which makes it's probably big. But And Chewbacca's big in general. I mean, a Wookiee's, Wookiees are all big. As far as I know, there's no like tiny Wookiees unless maybe they're young. I haven't researched it a whole lot, but I believe all of the, the Wookiees on Kashyyyk are uh, massive shall we say. I don't know about their schlongs. I have not seen an actual Wookiee dick. Maybe they're asexual. Uh, they could be, you know. I don't know that... Uh, I would imagine there's probably Star Wars characters in the, the, the universe where they are asexual. Uh, I'm trying to think if, if I've knowingly come across species in the Star Wars universe that are... I'm not sure. But there's got to be, right? There's, uh, they just, they just, uh, <laughs> they're not man or female. But perhaps, perhaps Wookiees are man and female? I guess, well, if you're saying the Star Wars holiday special is canon, then yes, yes, there is a man and female in, in the Wookiee species. That is a, that is a thing that they must procreate this way because, um, in that, uh, series, in the, uh, Star Wars, Holiday special. Uh, <laughs> Chewbacca has a wife, and he has uh, children, at least one kid. And then there's Chewbacca's dad that's watching the VR porn. Uh, I often when I when I talk about that, I'm like, I kind of like, ooh, I should go back and watch that again. I don't think I ever made it fully through the holiday special. I've seen a lot of it. 
I'm uh, I think I've come close to like finishing the end. It's hard to watch, man, especially like the first 15 20 minutes cuz it's all Chewbacca's family and they're like, arr, arr. it's the whole thing. There's no fucking actual dialogue. And then there's like the most of the dialogue you get at the beginning is just like you get clips that were uh stuff that was on the cutting room floor from Star Wars A New Hope. They just used some scenes that were not used in that film. There were the throwaway scenes. And uh, the rest is just Wookiees doing their thing, speaking their arr, arr. <laughs> that shit, talking like bears, bears, because that's baby bear, I think, what they use for the Chewbacca sound. But uh, yeah, anyway, oh, Book of Boba Fett. It's uh shit. We're only like a little over two months away from that. That'll that'll be fun. That'll be exciting. And then next year, I think we're getting a few Star Wars shows. Uh, I'd forgot about Andor until the other day, so I was seeing a trailer for some uh, for some stuff, and like uh, yeah, I mean, there's some uh, good stuff. Hopefully, Kenobi will be good. I mean, I I feel like it will. I mean, Ewan McGregor's in there, and as long as Filoni and Favreau are involved in this shit, I have faith. I have faith in the Force, and it is strong in Obi Wan. So uh, that's really, I guess, all I've got for tonight. Um, as always, that is a kid in a wheelchair, not a trash can.